If you brought a Bible, you can open it to the book of Luke. As you've probably noted by now, this is the first Sunday uh, of Advent, and with it we start a new short series for this season, and we're calling it Songs for the Savior. Songs for the Savior. Each week we'll look at a song from the birth narratives of Jesus recorded only in the book of Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapters 1 and 2. And the first one is Mary's song, which we'll look at this morning. These songs, before I read the text this morning, these songs are, as one commentary writes, represent for us the last of the Hebrew Psalms and the first of the Christian hymns. It said that Luke included these lyrics in spite of him being a historian, just looking to document the facts, because he knew that the good news of the gospel, God's story of redemption, wasn't a documentary or even just a drama. It was a musical, meaning what God has done in Christ must be praised. It must be sung. And Mary's song is our first, and that's why we're going to look at these for this Advent season. This one's often called the Magnificent. It is a psalm that leads us into just that praise and celebration. So with that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 38 to 55. Beginning in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then verse 46, beginning Mary's song of praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty." He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Let me pray now and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do a miracle this morning, and by a miracle that you would soften hardened hearts as we open your word and as we hear from you by your word. We ask that you then would open our eyes and ears you would allow us to see and hear things otherwise we couldn't. Would you do this for your glory alone, we pray. Amen. Well, what causes you to sing this morning? What causes you to celebrate? If you could recall, what's the the last thing that you remember 
um, expressing joy over because just talking about it doesn't, wouldn't work, wouldn't do. Maybe for some of you, uh, for, for a generation for sure, it was the phrase, the war is over, right? That caused people to flood streets and to burst into song and the celebration. For others, it could be that promotion that you have worked really, really hard at trying to get and finally you got it and it just causes you to celebrate, to burst into song. For some of you, it might be graduation. For others, finally getting that PhD that you're working on. Maybe it's a wedding. Maybe you got to see your grandchild get married, and this was a time of sweet celebration that caused you to burst into song. What causes you to celebrate? Well, whatever that is for you, whatever it is that that causes you to, to express joy in song because talking about it won't do. Thinking about that for just a moment this morning actually brings us into the world of a young woman on her way to see a cousin. A young woman by the name of Mary who was a virgin at this time but was told by God that she was pregnant with child. And that child would be the long-awaited promised Savior of this world. And for Mary, what God has done for her and what he has done for the world through his promises has caused her to celebrate, has caused her to burst into this song. And what she sings about primarily is God's mercy. And what is mercy this morning? Mercy is not getting something that you deserve. That's what mercy is. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It's God's kindness to you, and this is what causes uh, Mary to sing. It's his mercy to her as a humble servant, as we'll see, and, and, and his mercy uh, covenantally to Israel in keeping his promises that extend to the Gentile world. For God's mercy is an expression of his faithfulness to his people. As John Nolan writes, God's mercy is uh, his active faithfulness to his covenant commitment to Israel. And so my only aim this morning as we look at this first song, the Song of Mary's, is that we would begin to make it our own this Advent as God's people who indeed have been shown mercy. And because of that, right, we have something worth celebrating. We have something worth singing about. We have a hope that is beyond all measure. And so just two things this morning. First, I, I want to address and look at the question of Advent itself. What is that? I want to make any assumptions here this morning. So we'll look briefly at what Advent is, and then we'll look at this song, and we'll see what Mary is singing about, both the mercy that God has shown her, but also the mercy that God has shown the world. So that's what we'll look at this morning. So this first one, this first point, what is Advent? So by way of introduction to this series in general. Small confession, I grew up in church my, my, my entire life, and um, you know went in and out of Advent seasons, Christmas seasons. Uh, and it wasn't just before the time I graduated college. I remember sitting in a church as we were having a service similar, similar to this. Somebody lit a candle. And I leaned over to my friend. I just said, <clears throat> so what's Advent? And they began, you know, to sort of manufacture something. Well, it's, uh, they didn't know what it was, right? And I don't know if that's you this morning, right? right? But the chances are, right? Whether you've been around the church or not, and the pomp and circumstance that it can kind of tend to be, we can come in here and play church and throw around terms. And, um, and if you don't know what Advent is, I just want you to know you're not alone. 
There are probably a lot of people who are unfamiliar with this term, and it's worth just starting from the beginning and explaining what it means. And what it means is arrival. Arrival. Technically, it's the arrival or coming of a notable person, thing, or event. The history of Advent within the church does two things for us that I want you to carry with you throughout the rest of this Christmas season. First is the season of Advent, which we are in, it looks back to the arrival of Jesus, right? As we just read about, the arrival of Jesus brought into this world by the Virgin Mary as the Son of God who would take away the sins of the world. It is a season in the church calendar that prepares us for something that is coming, the birth of Christ, which we celebrate as Christmas. But by looking back to the birth of Christ, this forces us to what? To look forward as well. And this is the second thing that Advent does for us, right? You can't look at the arrival of Jesus as we will be doing over the next four weeks until Christmas, and not also in this time look forward to what we call the final Advent, right? The final arrival of Jesus, our King, as he has promised to do, as he has promised to come back uh, to bring his kingdom here forever. Today, when we think about where we live as it pertains to the ongoing biblical story, right? So, like, if, if you grew up in the church or you call yourself a Christian, right, this story is not over. You, you realize that, right? The story is still going somewhere. And where are we then in that story? And that's huge for Christians to be aware of. And we are in a place that we call the time between the times. That's where you and I live as Christians. Between the times of Christ's arrival uh, that we are reading about this morning, but also the time of his final arrival to come back, right, to finish what his resurrection started. Many of us who faithfully and often painfully follow our beloved sports teams, just to use an example, understand the time between the times. That is the time way back then when your team actually won a national championship and, 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 and then you live in the middle of, of that time and then the forward-looking time of the one day someday when they might actually win another one. At least that's what it feels like to be a Tennessee fan. Maybe that's what it feels like to be a Maryland fan. We can talk about that after the service. The time between the times. This is where we are in the Christian story. God's long-awaited Messiah, the promise for him to fulfill his promises and bringing and sending a Redeemer has come in Jesus. Wonderful. But now we're waiting for his final arrival as well. So again, Advent does two things. We look back to see the arrival of Jesus, but it also reminds us to look forward to, 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 to the long-awaited arrival of Jesus to come back for his people, which is why for many of us, Christmas is really a time that underscores both the sweet and the sour of life. As much as there is joy in the air this time of year, it is also a very sad and difficult time of year for many. We will come in here over the next four Sundays and we will hear about the King's arrival, about the incarnation of Jesus, yet something still claws at you. Yes, Jesus has come, but... And you feel that tension. You probably feel that this morning. Jesus has come, but what? Life hasn't gotten easier. Jesus has come, right? But my marriage is still a mess. Jesus has come, but cancer is still around. Death is still with us. The Christmas season offers a Jesus died, but... And that lingers in our minds that either no one feels comfortable talking about it or we feel ashamed even thinking it sometimes as Christians. But I think we should talk about it. 
We should acknowledge it because it brings us closer to the full meaning of Advent itself. See, it's supposed to be sweet and it's supposed to be sour. Why? Because it has everything to do with where we are in the story. If you're feeling that tension this morning, you're actually uh, experiencing and living out the reality of where you are in God's story. The time between the times, and that's Advent for us today. The sweetness of the arrival of our Savior, but the sour that exists and the waiting for Him to return to what? To make all things new again. To get rid of death, to, as Revelation says, to wipe out all tears, which is really to, to make tears not existent because pain is no more. If you're coming in here this morning acting like that does not matter to you, then you are not living in light of where the Bible says we are. It is holding both our praise and our laments together as we trust that Jesus will make good on this one final promise to return. To finish what his resurrection started and bringing about a new creation where there are no more tears and death. And as we turn to Mary's song, as we look at the reason behind Mary's joy that has caused her to celebrate, that has caused her to sing, we see that Advent truly tells us uh, is that no matter how sour the sour gets for you in this life, the sweetness always wins out. That's Advent. No matter how sour life gets for you, the sweetness is promised to always win out. Why? Because that is a testimony to God's mercy to Mary, but it's a testimony to God's mercy to you this morning in Jesus Christ. And that's how, I, that's how we celebrate as God's people at this place in the story, the time between the times. This is Advent. So what did Mary sing about? That's the first point. Let's get that out of the way. What did Mary sing about then? And this gets to the second point. Mary sings about God's mercy. And the only thing I want us to look at is how she sings about God's mercy to her first, but then how she sings about God's mercy to the world to you second. Right? There's a lot in here, but we're not trying to go for three hours. So let's try not to do that. First, Mary celebrates how God has shown her mercy the song starts out with Mary singing, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. And when you look at this in the original language, it is, it is noted, right, the way that it is written, that this is a song. And so there's, there's some poetry here, right? There's some, there's some, we need to get into the structure of it here to understand what, it's, what is being said. And so at first, uh, there's parallelism, which if we've studied any type, of, been any type of poetry class or anything like that, we know how parallelism works. There's parallelism here between the words magnifies and rejoices, which are pretty much the same, and between the words soul and spirit. When we look at the tenses, though, which is important, of magnifies, it is better to be taken as the habitual act of, of, of praising, of magnifying the Lord, is to say, I will continue. This is what she's saying. I will continue to magnify the Lord. Rejoices, however, is more interesting because it is what we call the aorist or the past tense. It is something that, that has happened, and she is thinking about an event that has happened to her that is causing her to rejoice. And what is that event? Well, it's probably what was just read before. It's, it's when the angel met with her and told her that she would be with child and told her who and what this child was. This means that Mary believes 100% what the angel has said to her in the preceding passage. 
In other words, nothing is in doubt for her as to what God is doing, which is the basis for the entire song. He has acted definitively. And Mary knows it. Mary refers then to God here as Savior, which means that she recognizes herself as being one of, uh, as, as a sinner, as, as other people are, that she needs a Savior, that she is in need of mercy. She, she uses the phrase humble estate, which is just the recognition that there was nothing special about her to warrant God's choosing her for this mission. But all of it is Mary rejoicing in what God has done for her, which is the reason for celebration to magnify the Lord. Mike McKinley, in his commentary on Luke, writes this about what it means to magnify the Lord. He says, when Mary magnifies the Lord, she isn't making him bigger. She's increasing the love and joy and worship of her heart until it is more in line with how great God is. When you go to a good concert or you watch someone kill a performance on stage, your instinct is to somehow do something that expresses how you feel about what you've just seen and to grow more in line with how great the performance was. A friend of mine from college was a big Steve Vai fan. And I don't know if you know who Steve Vai is. You don't have to know who he is. Uh, probably one of the best guitarists in the world, arguably. Um, I'm not crazy about his genre of music. He plays this neoclassical rock. I'm going to hear about it from somebody after this. How do you not like what he plays? He loved, my friend loved Steve Vai. He invited me to go play or to go, to go watch a concert. Sure, I'll go. Don't really listen to him, but I like my friend. And, you know, he's one of the best, so we'll, we'll go listen. We get to this concert, and we start listening to him play this guitar, and he goes to introduce this new song that neither of us had heard. I hadn't heard anything that I'd heard up to that point even, so it didn't really matter. It was all new songs to me at that point. Um, so he introduces the song, introduces the song. By the end of it, my friend and I were in tears. And actually kind of ashamed about it. We didn't really know what was happening. We looked at each other and we were like, why are we crying? What is going on here? The song, and probably still to this day, was the most beautiful song I'd ever heard on guitar. Easy easy. I'm not sure if tears at a Steve Vai concert is the appropriate way to grow more in line, if you will, with how great the performance was, but that's what we did. That was all we could do <laughs> with what we saw. Mary is doing the same thing as she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's increasing the love and the joy, and in this situation, the worship of her heart until it is more in line with how great God is. And why? Why? Because he has shown her mercy. Not by picking her to, to carry the Savior of the world, but by providing a Savior for her, period. For behold, she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for, who, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's reason for celebration, for singing, is God's mercy to her. How he has remained faithful to his promises to redeem his people from their sins, and the same is true for you this morning.
Advent, Christmas, the birth of Jesus, right? It is all about God's mercy to you, which is an expression of his faithfulness to you. Mary, <clears throat> as, as one who has broken God's commands and knows that as we, as we read, knows that she deserves something completely different than a Savior given to her. And this is what causes her to rejoice. But it's not just for her, it's for you as well. She actually is able to move beyond, as you note, what God has done for her and what is certain for any who shows reverence, she says, to God from generation to generation. And that, is rever- and that his reverence, or, sorry, and that is receive, sorry, the mercy uh, in this Savior that this, that this Savior offers for any who are willing to show reverence, right? She's able to move past what, it, what God has done for her, right, and, and express this now in the rest of the psalm. And what, or song, and what he is doing for the world. But there's something else that Mary is moving beyond here that I want to note before we do move on. And that is, she's not just moving past what, what, what this mercy means for her. She's actually able to move beyond what this means for her. And there's no really better way to put it, right? She's a pregnant, unmarried woman in a culture that still has the death penalty for adultery on the books. And we don't get any of this. We don't get this tone at all from her of what people are going to think, what's going to happen to me. We know from Matthew's gospel that Joseph considers breaking off the engagement, as it were. He's not sure what to believe at first about this, and who can blame him? (laughs) And I think, I stop here because I think it's easy to read the Bible and to just think that God's entering into the lives of his people is always clean, and it's always neat, and it's never messy. Should we forget already what will happen to this baby that Mary and you and I are blessed by? God might make straight the path for salvation in Christ for us, but that doesn't mean that he clears every thorn and thistle along the way. There are serious issues at play for Mary that you might think would be or would take the spotlight, and we wouldn't blame her if they did. Like, what are others going to think? What if no one believes me? What if my parents and family disown me, but they don't, do they? There's nothing about that in this song. And why? Because she knows. She knows. God's mercy and kindness to her are not just God involving her in the fulfillment of promise that will free the world from their sins, right? But it's making it clear and known to her, her, his humble servant, and what is happening, why, and that this great covenantal God will be near to her always. No pun intended. She knows. For now, what tomorrow brings is not in her control. What others think will not be the loudest voice. And her faith in God's word will trump any attempt of self-preservation in this moment. Because Mary, in one of the most beautiful acts of submission in the Bible, says, Lord, let it be according to your word in verse 38. And sometimes there's no other place to go but there. The only voice that matters is the voice of her Lord at this point. He gets the final word. Surely this is the outcome of being shown mercy. 
Nothing matters beyond the one who has set her free. Who has shown her kindness beyond all measure. But this is only what the first part of the song is about. The second part is a celebration for what God has done in the world. What he has done for you because of this Savior. When you look at verses 51 to 55, see how they talk about a turning upside down of the status quo. We read language of the proud being scattered, as you see, and the mighty being torn from their thrones. And those who have been scattered, right, the hungry and the humble, right, we have gathered and they've been gathered and exalted. Pastor Tim Keller writes this about this passage. He says, the grace of God gathers those who are scattered, who have humbled themselves and see their need for a Savior, and he scatters those who have gathered. The proud, those who think they are powerful and exercise that power over others in unjust ways. This is what the second part of that song is about. And as you notice the way that she's writing it, it's writing as if it's already happened. But has this happened? Mary sings, he has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry. He has helped his servant Israel. But is this true? Baby's still in her womb. Is this true? Yes and no. Yes and no, right? We call this writing in the past perfect tense. It is to speak of something that has happened in the past, and because of that event, sets the course for what is assured to happen what? In the future, as if it's already done. For Mary, she is thinking of what it means for God to act in sending this Savior with whom she is pregnant. And this has led her to speak of a future reality as if it has already happened. It is right to have that winning lottery ticket. And before you cash it in, right, it's to say we have been given a lot of money when one dime hasn't been sent to you already. This is what it means to live in the past perfect tense Right? This, is, this is the Christian hope. It is not just sort of pie in the sky, might one day, someday work out. It is a certainty right? to speak of it as if it has already happened. It is to live in God's story. And Mary's song is a testimony to the faithfulness of God and how it is ultimately his story that Mary is caught up with and not her own. And that's what I want you to take away with for the rest of this song. She's not caught up in her story, the implications of that as we just went through. She is completely enamored and caught up with his story and where it is going and why. If you do cross-references of Mary's song, you find a lot of it coming from Hannah's song um, or prayer from, from 1 Samuel. And who is Hannah? Well, Hannah was the mother of the prophet Samuel. Okay. But that's not the only place we find echoes of Mary's song in the Old Testament. We find places of it coming from Genesis 17 which we looked at last week, which I know you all remember, from uh, God's covenant with Abraham. But not just there, right? There's faint echoes of Deuteronomy about the steadfast love of God to those who keep his commandments or fear him. Along with uh, that, we see echoes of Job, and the Psalms are in there too in Mary's song. Isaiah makes an appearance even. Ezekiel as well, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, just name a few. What's the point? When you look at Mary's song, she's basically packed the entire Old Testament into it. 
It's as one commentary says, right, Mary tried to put virtually the whole Bible into her song. And what does this mean? It means that it is God's story of his covenantal mercy and faithfulness to his creation that Mary is caught up with, not her own. That is what she is singing about. She's remembering all the things that he promised, all the things that he said he would do. She has funneled them into the words of her song because that is the story that matters. It is his majesty and glory that she seeks to proclaim and nothing else. A glory that is magnified by God's unfaithfulness to his promises expressed in his mercy to you. And what this song does then is it forces us out of our own stories and into God's story. But living in God's story means, friends, living as Mary does in the past perfect tense. It means living in the past perfect tense of God's promises as we come back to where we are in the story of the time between the times presently, right? It means as we wait on Christ's return, the final advent, we do so with the hope right, that regardless of our circumstances this morning, regardless of what you are facing this morning, There is a future reality here that is already certain. That Jesus is returning and his arrival will bring an end to all death and to all suffering and sadness where all things are made new. And if I could cheat and go a little bit ahead of the story here for Mary, she's going to need to remember this in about 33 years. When she sits at the foot of the cross of her son being nailed, suffocating, suffering in ways that none of us can imagine, she's going to have to remember the past perfect as well. Was I an idiot? Was I a fool to sing these things, to trust God and his promises? And she sits and she watch, watches her own son die. She's going to have to trust those promises. That's where she lives. That's where you live. That's what it means to be in God's story right now. This is what it means to be his people. And Advent is the unique invitation to reflect and to ask ourselves, which is why I love this time of year, because we slow down. In some ways we don't, but in other ways we do. And we just think about this in probably ways that we don't otherwise. But it's the unique invitation to reflect and ask ourselves, what story am I more caught up in right now in life? In this way, would Christmas this year be an invitation to stir our hearts and imagination to be caught up in the story of God and not our own? To hold the sweet and the sour together, but with the hope of knowing that the sweetness wins out. And if that's not something that is front and center for you, it is for somebody sitting next to you, and you can be that for them this year. What does that look like, briefly, some application? For some in this room, it will look like stop asking God to be a part of your story and instead joining his. We stop asking God to be a part of our story and we join his story, which means we submit to his story, to his providences, to his care and timing. Can you imagine Mary saying, I don't want to be pregnant at 14 and unmarried? I can And I don't doubt that she probably said it (laughs) at some point in time in all of this. But what does she do? She says, Lord, let it be according to your word. Let it be according to your word. 
And she doesn't do that blindly, I might add. To make Mary's song our own, first we stop asking God to be a part of our story and we join his story, which then means that we have to go where his story is going, not where we want it to go. And where is it going from generation to generation to generation? Which means, like Mary, it's not a story that we keep for ourselves, right? It's a story for others, too. Not just how great God is because he has been merciful to me, which is wonderful to sing about, right? But the song doesn't stop there. It goes on to talk about how he has been merciful and wonderful to others as well. To those you work with, to those you live next to, right? His mercy extends to them as well, to the ends of the earth, right? And, and, and that, that means that we don't just proclaim the message, which is important, but we also begin to learn how to create space to include others so that others can belong, to come and know and participate in that story, which implies what God changing us. Often when we ask God to be a part of our story, what we really mean is, God, wow me with your mercy and grace. Don't change me, though. And that's really the scariest thing about this season, right? Like the comforts of the season, the songs we like to sing, right? the lights around the tree, whatever it is, right? There's some beauty in, in, in the traditions that we have both in this church and in our families, but if anything, the incarnation, <laughs> the, what, what it says to us is, is this is going to change you, as it did for Mary. I'm sure she asked, is there another way? Is there somebody else you could do this to? And the answer is no. When we seek to join God's story and all that it implies we are saying, this means I am inviting God to change me for the sake of others. That's what Mary's song's about. For some of us in this room, that's not holding on to tradition as much. But for others, right, it's embracing a tradition that's not yours. That's the church. That's the church. And when we do that, we begin to see the power what of God at work in ways that can only make you do one thing, and that is sing. See God at work. See him at work. It can only make you do one thing, and that is to celebrate. Advent is the unique invitation to reflect and to ask ourselves, what story am I more caught up with right now in life? Which means we stop asking God to be a part of our story, and we join his story and where it's going. For others in this room, though, perhaps who haven't gone as far to say that I want to be a part of God's story as it is described in the Bible, right? What would happen if you began to open yourself up to the mysterious wonder of God, and the incarnation is a big one, but to open yourself up to the mysterious wonders of God and submit yourself, like Mary, to the impossible? What would that first step look like for you this season? This is what we see in Mary, right? Submission to the mysterious wonders of God, which is what we all have to do should we call ourselves Christians. Because as it turns out, right, it is that submission right, that is the beginning of how we enlarge our vision of God's majesty. It's the beginning to say, let it be to me according to your will. That's how we magnify the Lord. That's how he gets bigger for us. And for Mary, in doing so, God's will is so grand. It is so other as she experiences it that her soul can't help but sing. And isn't that what all of us really want 
this year. Isn't that what we all want in life? We, when we ask for whatever we're asking for for Christmas this year, right, something that will make us sing, figuratively speaking. We want the bells and the whistles. We want the gadgets. We want the pleasures and the joys of, of, of this world because our hope is that they will bring us lasting joy, that they will make us what? Sing, figuratively speaking. But all we know and all of us would agree, is that the week after Christmas, we are tired of the toys, right? And what Advent might be saying to you is that you need a bigger story. You need a bigger story. We need a bigger story. I need a bigger story. Could you open yourself up to the mysterious wonders of God and submit yourself like Mary to the impossible? And hear the angel's words back in 37, nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. Because that, friends, is a story big enough to hold all the sour life has to offer, which is a story worth singing about. And what is that story again? What's that story we're joining? What's the chorus we're singing, right? It's a story of of one where sinners receive mercy because another didn't. It's a story where sinners receive mercy because another didn't, where you uh, were not given what you deserved and another received what they did not deserve. It's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one who bore the sin of Mary, who bore the sin of me, of you, of all of us in this world, right, so that we might receive mercy, so that we might have new life in him. That's the story. And friends, that is one worth singing about. I pray you'll come back this Advent season, especially if you're visiting, and hear more from the songs of the Savior and the Gospel of Luke. May we be a people this year who celebrate, who sing, because we are so caught up with another story, the majesty of God and what he has truly done for us, his people and Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text perhaps one that is easy to read over in the gospel narratives, looking for just the the more crystallized theological structures and the action of a narrative and not slowing down to read the songs and the reason behind the songs. That Mary given all that is in front of her, her circumstances, has something to sing about. And this song wasn't just for her. It was for the generations that come after her, that she, that they would sing this song as well. And so I pray that for Wallace, that we would take this song in, that we would make it our own as people who have received mercy this year. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.